I'm Sean. And I'm Alex. <laughs> and that's Grayson. And this is Autism Building the Puzzle. One piece at a time. Hi, and welcome to Autism Building the Puzzle, one piece at a time. My name is Sean, and as usual, I'm here with my wonderful wife, Alexandria. Hey, everyone. And today we have our RBT Sam back. Super excited to talk to him. We had such a great conversation last time that uh, we think we're going to be making it a uh, monthly spot. So uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, self-stimulatory behavior through a direct care worker point of view. So uh, with that, how are you, Sam? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. A lot of good information. So, you know, we get a lot of questions, and parents talk a lot about uh, stimming behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, we're really excited to talk to you about that because Mm -hmm. it's such a hot topic. And, you know, we know from our experience of talking to parents that so many of them are... um, kind of embarrassed by it or they want to change that about their children mm-hmm. so why don't you tell us a little bit about your perspective when it comes to that so we'll edit this a little bit <laughs> um so my my scope of it is always to kind of give parents the idea that stereotypy or stimming looks different for everyone so a lot of people think of stimming and it's like the hand flapping that's something a lot of people are used to seeing in public when they think of someone with autism, but stereotypy or stimming could look like a lot of different ways. It could be a gentle head tap. It could be actually like rocking of a foot where, you know, someone like you and I, we rock our feet sometimes when we're anxious, but for yes. someone with autism, it may be that they're regulating themselves. It's helping them focus or kind of ground themselves to what's going on around them. And so what a lot of people do is like, oh, I want to, you know, I don't want them to, I don't want them to flap their hands anymore. I don't want them to head tap. I don't want them to do this or that. My response is always to be like, okay, well, I get that. You, you want your child to look somewhat normal, for lack of better words. I get that. And it's unfortunate because sometimes that stimming behavior helps them focus. And parents or loved one, they kind of forget that. They forget that that's their means to kind of navigate this world. It may be a way to amplify a sensation or dull down a sensation. So theoretically, maybe, you know, they're hearing something and it's really intense and by flapping, I'm not sure if you could hear me flapping, (laughs) you're you're actually dulling out some sort of sensory input, whether it's visual or or auditory, even a, a tactical sensation. There's a lot of different things that could be happening, and I'm not an OT. An occupational therapist is better qualified to really give someone a sensory profile and get a better idea of what those things are uh, caused by or what could help them mediate it. But from my scope as a, a BT and someone who's had more of a psych background, I look at it as a way to kind of let them exist within the world a little more peacefully. So I'm less inclined to say, well, we got to stop the stemming. I don't think yeah. that's a good idea sometimes because what if we give them we say no Johnny stop shaking your flapping your hands and we don't give them a replacement behavior that's the same or equivalent to that you're taking away something that helps them exist more peacefully in this world and let's take about think about another term we can use um, it's something that relaxes them it's something that helps them feel better 
sometimes if we move away from the yeah. jargon, we learn, well, this just helps me feel better, man. And that's cool. Yeah. yeah. Why would we take that away? Because for me, personally, like, I play guitar. I'm not sure if my parents ever noticed when I'm a little kind of flustered, I'll take a guitar pick and I'll, I'll stumble with it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It helps regulate me. That helps me focus. So you and I, as quote-unquote normal people, we have things that help us relax or focus or ground ourselves. And yet we are looking at someone who is engaging in this more uh, overt sensory uh, regulated behavior, and we get upset about it. We we look at it as a socially bad thing to do, and I think that's really unfair. And I really would like parents who are hearing this or any other professionals who say stimming is unacceptable or this other thing, I, I would rather you reconsider. I'd rather you think about more of the child's sensory profile and their needs and really think, is this really that aversive? Is that really harming anyone? There are situations where stimming could be um, harmful to other people if it intensifies to a point where they're they're banging on like a very hard surface or that they bang on walls. Like there's things that could look a little bit more disruptive, but there are ways to kind of redirect those and mm-hmm. teach how to do it in the right place at the right time. Yeah, so, yeah, I I totally agree with you about some, that. I mean, the. Uh, the idea of completely stopping something that regulates them, I feel it. it's just, it's harming them more. Yeah. It's helping them. You know, I, th- I feel like everybody out there has things they do to cope with different situations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I am a huge leg slash foot tap or whatever. Um, people used to get annoyed by it all the time. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm Me. eating dinner. I'm eating dinner. Not the floor. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm eating dinner, and Alex is like, what is that shaking going on? I'm like, sorry, it's my foot again. Didn't even realize it. But, you know, whatever, I, I was thinking about something that was, was, you know, giving me some sort of level of stress that day uh, while we were having dinner, and, you know, that's a way that I kind of cope with it. So, you know, if, if somebody took that away from me, I would have more trouble coping with it. Exactly. So, so And I'm not as to kind of piggyback off of that so let's say we're we're like you know we're post-pandemic we're out at dinner we're their friends we're around people how disruptive is really shaking your leg it's not it's just annoying to the other people it might just be a a little bit annoying and if it's a louder space where there's more background noise it's even less noticeable so how pervasive really is it how bad is that Mm -hmm. uh, that behavior for lack of better words and my response is same, the same thing with the flapping. And I, I, I go back to flapping because I think that's what a lot of people default to. Um, it is, com- it is it's common. Yeah, and it's that's a common stem. So. And that's where what's so bad about that. Right. And um, something I think we also will kind of get into is that that social thing, that social part of it. It looks socially unacceptable. It's only socially unacceptable if you define it as that. And who are we to judge what's socially unacceptable? Exactly. Um, it comes down to me as the professional to say, is this harming themselves or others? And in my experience, 99.9% of the times, it's not. Sometimes it does get bad, and that's when you do need a BCBA or an OT to really get in there and say, hey, what's, you know, what's the function? What's the sensory profile? An OT and a BCBA should pretty much be working together to figure that out already, but 
I just I get really upset when you have these professionals, these parents who get so upset with it, like the quiet hands. Well, quiet hands is good. You guys have heard quiet hands before, right? Yeah. Well, quiet hands, I think, is appropriate when a child is maybe impulsively trying to reach for things here and there. But to tell a kid quiet hands if they're flapping, I don't find that appropriate. And that's me as a professional. Um, I I called out uh, supervisors before on it. And I'm like, with all due respect, I don't agree with what you're doing. And it's, it's bitten me in the butt, but I stand by what I've done. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I really welcome anyone who thinks differently than me to tell me why, but from my experience, if you're not harming yourself or others, why, why get so upset? Um, yeah, before we go any farther forward, I just want to mention out there that, uh, anything we talk about, um, you know, comes from our experiences, um, and Sam's experience, uh, you know, this is not for specific situations. Obviously, we don't know your children like you do. Um, so, we, you know, we want to recommend that you go talk to a BCBA if you're having any concerns about any of these things. Have them do an ass- uh, you know, a full assessment. Find out, you know, what the cause is of the stimming. Um, you know, especially if it's something dangerous. You know, I think we can all agree that things that are dangerous for our children or others around them you know, is something that should be addressed. So, eating, chewing. Yeah, and uh, that's... Auditory, audit, a lot of auditory... Uh, and that's where having a good team or, of, like, therapists, and I uh, include speech-language pathologists and uh, occupational therapists. Um, they're wonderful. Like, even me personally, like, I have a very nice circle of friends that I can, like, pin and, like, throw things off of them. Like, hey, I'm going through this right now, and we never disclose names because of HIPAA and all that fun stuff. But we're always like, you know, this is what's going on. I'm having a hard time navigating. You have any insight? Um, and usually they're, they're spot on. Like, what's a sensory profile? What it, what's this need? And sometimes they bring up things that I don't think of. Um, I recently had a client that um, I, I tried even doing, like, a metronome vibration with them. That didn't work. They're like, oh, what about, like, temperature variations? And I'm like, I've never thought of that. And I took um, a bracelet I wore, put it in the freezer, and I gave it to the the client and I had their focus for a second why and how it did it I can't tell you I'm not that kind of professional <laughs> but I know in that moment it worked it was a sensory need that was satisfied it was awesome so that's where having the consults from those people are really great because they they're going to give you ideas that you never thought of before yeah. um so yeah I, I remember Sean you mentioned the BCBA I, I'm on the supervision to be two very wonderful BCBAs, um, but also getting the the opinion of a an OT on this kind of mm-hmm. situation I think is immensely important. There, remember, everyone's training is different. It doesn't of course. Dis- doesn't disqualify anyone's credentialing or their knowledge. Just it's different. Different like, scopes I, of practice. Exactly, and ideally, in the perfect world, they all collaborate, create this comprehensive plan and assessment and treatment that is just. I, I've yet to see that that like three tier approach of OT speech and behavior giving you this perfect little pamphlet of knowledge. <laughs> I'm dreaming of the day that uh, that yeah. can happen. Uh, until then, it's just kind of it's up to the parents to really know who to trust and seek as far as that information is concerned. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think Alex, we talk we've talked about that on some of our other episodes. You know how how like. Uh, you want to make sure you're working with people that are open to 
your goals and yeah, yeah and open to working with other professionals yeah you know like and you know, know as a parent if it feels right or not yeah you know you know what a good match is and you know yeah. sometimes you have to make that mm-hmm. call BCBAs that work are willing to work well with OTs yeah and mm-hmm. speech th- you know uh, speech pathologists and um and yeah, even developmental pediatricians, you oh, know, yeah, like have, finding a good one of those I hear is very difficult. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's as far as regard to the stimming and the self-regulatory behavior, it takes time to really get a grasp of that. And also another thing to know, it changes in time. Yes. Uh, you know, a child is still developing. It doesn't matter if they have autism or not. Their needs, their wants and desires are going to change. Um, so what may have looked like uh, theoretically, uh, you guys have mentioned head tapping before, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So head tapping theoretically may have had a few different functions from an ABA standpoint, and as time went on, those functions change. It's a very normal mm-hmm. thing. So to not get bogged down as well, on this assessment it said this is for escape and attention and sensory, well, that was three, four years ago. Yeah. Kid's older now. He's learned things. He's learned things. Ah, there you go. He's learning. Yeah. He's developing. He's still a little kid. You know, he's learning these things. And that goes for anyone, whether and it's your son or someone else's daughter. Mm-hmm. Not to... Sometimes people grow out of them organically. And it so, happens. And, and the different... Uh, the, the form that the stimulation takes can mm-hmm. change and revert mm-hmm. back. And, you know, with our son, there's certain things that... Um, he has done well, well. Chewing on a shirt was a big one. It stopped for a long time, then it started again, yeah. and you know. So just because um, it may disappear too doesn't mean it's going to come back. It's constantly going to be changing, yeah. developing into potentially other things. Same with uh, his head banging so, and stuff. I mean, and, you know, treatment is in this linear so. path that uh, I think we all have kind of mapped out. We. Uh, it's the this, this same thing we apply to ourselves. We have a, a plan. We, we think it's this linear set of growth and these steps. It's, it's, just, it's just not like that. You know, there's ups and downs. And sometimes there's significant downs and sometimes there's significant ups. It's the unfortunate nature of the beast. And I, I, it's so heartbreaking because, you know, as a, even as a, a, a direct care worker, you know, there's days where I see these amazing strides. I get the best things out of my clients and then... The next day, it's like I never existed and everything was lost. Um, that's just the name of the game. And, I, you know, as a professional, I learned to not take it personally. I learned to kind of roll the punches a little bit. And the same could maybe be applied to the parents. You know, you want to see all this amazing growth. You want it to be rapid. You want it to be clicking. You want it to be linear. It just, it just doesn't happen like that. Yeah. It's, unf- it's so unfortunate. It's heart-wrenching. Heart-wrenching for everyone. It's probably heart-wrenching for the, the client, for me as the therapist, for you as the parents. And... You know, I, I feel for everyone. Yeah. I think you having an autistic child, you know, you you do struggle with that for a while in the beginning. And now we're just at the point where, you know, it's like with Grayson speaking. I don't think like, oh, Grayson will be talking in a year. I don't know that. Mm-hmm. So the sooner that I realize that whatever happens, great. And if it doesn't happen, that's okay, too. Mm-hmm. I keep my expectations now low. Therefore, I don't expect too much and I'm not disappointed then. I know what it is, and, you know, I know his struggles, and I have to pray that we get there one day, and if we don't, that's okay, too. But I kind of take away what I want from the equation at this point. We'll be right back after a word from our show sponsors. Here at Building the Puzzle, we understand how difficult and challenging it can be 
for parents with autistic children that have communication delays. Well, if you're in New Jersey, you're in luck. The speech paradigm has you covered. They're helping children overcome speech challenges all across New Jersey. They offer both telehealth services as well as in-home therapy. Please reach out to them. You can uh, take a look on their website at www.thespeechparadigm.com. You can reach out by phone at 732-203-5268. You can also find them both on Facebook and Instagram as well at The Speech Paradigm. We are also sponsored by Grayson and Company, uh, making homemade toys. They have everything from wooden homemade toys to sensory bins, sensory boards, all different kinds of toys for your children. Uh, they can be reached at grayson-company.myshopify.com as well as on Facebook and Instagram as well as Etsy. On Etsy, they can be found at Grayson and Company Toys. And now back to the show. I, I yeah, that's the safest way. Management of expectations is a huge thing. You probably could do a whole other episode on that. Yeah. Um, because that is keynote to a lot of things in life, and that's, I mean, everything. Yeah. Our expectations of people, of ourselves, yeah. of um, bringing it back to our loved ones with these, um, these needs. They change. We, we need to grow with them. Yeah, it, I totally, yeah. I totally agree, and I think. So many people are, you know, so, uh, I guess, uh, quantitative, and they have a idea that okay, we have a process, we plug the the situ- you know, plug it into mm-hmm. the situation, and this is the outcome we're supposed to get. But mm-hmm. we're dealing with human beings. Yeah, we're yeah. not dealing with you know something that's mathematical, where you know, mm-hmm. two plus two is always four. Yeah. And with when it comes to human beings, you know, two plus two is not always four. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I think as Thank far God as we're like, not numbers, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and I think as far as stimming, like you know, sometimes we wake up and we're having a bad day that day, and we're like, sometimes you're like, oh, I just need to take a drive for fifteen minutes. Mm-hmm. Just want to get out and clear my head. Even think about the, the simple same... sensation of taking your hands and just rubbing your head. Okay. Think about how many times you guys do that. Like, yeah. Okay, oh, so you, honestly, you get the blood flow. I now. never used to do that. But about two, three weeks ago, I was sitting there one night, and I was taking my nails and just rubbing my head. I said, Sean, do you know how good this feels? I could just fall asleep. I should do this every night. It was so calming that I can't believe that I haven't been doing that all along. <laughs> but it was great. So, you know, you find things that you like, you're and every day is not the same. And, and like, going back to it, you're, you're satisfying a sensory need in that moment. It's just like, oh. Even, like, even if you take... A piece of a, a cold rag. Just wipe your face yeah. to cool you off. It's a sensory need. You're yeah. physically cooling yourself down. You're giving yourself and your body something just to get back to homeostasis. That yes. perfect state of being. Yes. Um, we're lucky. Exactly. We're able to, to, to find that a little bit easier. And that's what I find to be so tragic with this kind of situation. Um, I, I As a therapist, I'm trying to give the, those clients the need to find that. And you know, every day is another journey. It's another step towards giving them that sense of homeostasis. Yes. You know? And I think you know what I'd like to encourage our audience to do is, you know, don't think of it just as a negative social thing potentially or something like that. Like, like uh, Sam was just saying, you know, the cool water on the rag, wipe in the face, like, I think we need to really be open to, um, 
you know, looking at it a lot differently than just one specific little small activity. Yeah, you know what I, I mean? agree. It serves so many different functions. And honestly, you know, so. these children that are doing, let's say if they're out and they're flapping, you know, as far as Grayson, he doesn't look at other people and say, well, they're looking at me. He is not concerned of it. So why should we be or embarrassed for him? And I admire a lot of these children, especially watching Grayson sometimes go out and there could be just, we could be at a festival and he'll flap and he'll dance and I think that is fantastic, honestly. He don't I care think about anything. There are going to be so many different people he comes across in his life. And there are going to be people who, you know, will make fun of him possibly and whatever. And the sooner that he's happy with himself and he's not worried about what other people are thinking about him, because the world is a crazy place and he's very comfortable in his own skin. Mm-hmm. And I admire that about him, that he's not worried about what other people think of him. And I think that's to kind of bring that social element of this all. And I know we touched upon it earlier. Um, I mentioned it. You guys have mentioned it. It's something that we, in this room, we're acknowledging that, hey, it's not that big of a deal. But from a larger scope and a larger societal point, um, it's something that we should kind of learn to be a little more accepting of socially. It's, It's fine. It's not that, in my opinion, it's not that big of a deal if we see a child flapping or if they're kind of doing a little twitch here and there. They're fine. I think there's many other things we need to worry about in the world. As long as our children are safe, yes. happy, and healthy, that's all that matters. So Yeah, there's a lot of other things going on. Yeah, so. so. Okay, Sam, so is there any other um, specific, you know, aspects of stimming that you'd like to talk to the audience about? Um, there's parts that I, I, without going too much into it, because we can get, like, really nerdy about it, um, you know, there's uh, many forms of neurological disorders and many neurological so- disorders, period, mm-hmm. that may look like stemming when they're not. Um, you always have to consult your, your mental health professionals, your neurologists, to take a closer look at things. Um, what may appear to be a stim may actually be a tick. That's also possible, too. So getting someone like, examined for a neurologist. you explain that? So to the audience, what the difference between those are. I, I really can't do it appropriately, and I apologize to the audience, but I, I know from my experience, I work with clients that what may, I know for there may be cases where it's not in fact a stim, maybe it's a tick related to a different diagnosis, like, I don't know, maybe Tourette's or okay. some sort of other neurological thing going on. I don't have a laundry list of knowledge of neurological okay. disorders. But that always have just tics. get evaluated when you're yeah, seeing those so things. Rule other things out. Yeah, you yeah. want to make, like, that's why bringing professionals to the table to really take a look at what's going on is so important. Mm-hmm. You don't want to lose something in the scope of getting caught up with, like, oh, well, they're just learning to regulate. That might be the case, but why might not be? Right. Exactly. So always consult um, your neurologist, too. They're not going to, they're going to be able to give you a, a different yes. scope that the other professionals haven't. And I'm I kind of, sad that I didn't bring that up earlier about neurologists but uh, I, I know from experience too there's times where you've had to look at something not as a stim but as a tick mm-hmm. and even from um, an ABA standpoint you have to learn to discern what is what as far as her data collection is concerned so I'm kind of happy I'm giving that piece of information now so also consult your mental like your actual medical doctors like i have a lot of respect for neurologists i think they're brilliant i love them Uh, (laughs) i wish i was one myself but uh you know 
gosh darn, I got caught up in psychology and I love it so much. <laughs> and, and, you know, personally, we went from that standpoint. With Grayson. Grayson um, was headbanging. Yeah. We went to neurologists. We had MRIs done mm-hmm. just to rule out anything else going on in the brain or something possibly being wrong. Um, so, and, you know, with Grayson, when he was a baby, he had a ridge. So that was always a concern whether that was irritating him and mm-hmm. why maybe he was headbanging because his they had said his plates closed really early, earlier than they should have. But he still had a soft spot. So when he originally was headbanging, you know, I kept thinking, well, maybe, how do you know he, something doesn't hurt him from those plates closing? He yeah. can't communicate. We really don't know. So that was our next step, neurologist, yeah. MRI. And then, you know, Alex knew right away when she saw that, you know, uh, that a lot of dogs, when they have, like, brain tumors and stuff, That's what the therapist will push their head against stuff because it relieves the pressure, pressure of the tumor on their yeah. whatever part of the brain it so is. So then I uh, start thinking, my kid has a tumor. Yeah, we need to get this checked <laughs> and out. And worry about that. You know, I mean, it was just one day I sat there and I was like, you yeah. have a line going down your forehead. I just saw him from a different light in the living room and right away, I mean, I called the doc. They had yeah. him in that week. It was scary. And it's, it's, it's you got to be careful not to go down the rabbit hole. You might, you know, say you see one thing and then you're all of a sudden, like, 30 pages into WebMD and you're diagnosing your kid with yeah. things that are actually aren't yeah. going on. I think we're all victims of doing that because I think, you know, I've done that myself. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't feel something. I'm going to die. Yeah, it's not the case. Same. Um, that's me. But they did get them in right away because they said if the soft spot wasn't still there, they would have had to do open surgery. Wow. So I was like, oh, my God, they're going to have to operate on his head. So I was already going to the next yeah. step. So you're absolutely so, right. Don't yeah, use Dr. Exactly. Google. Just <laughs> Dr. Google, you know, he... He's very deceiving. He makes yes. it. So, uh, yeah, you got to consult those, those professionals. They're going to give you the right answers. Um, so trust your doctors. I know it's hard sometimes. And I say that as someone who is a professional, and I struggle with my professional sometimes, um, as I, throughout the course of my life, have, uh, you know, I've been providing therapeutic services, but also someone who receives therapeutic services. You know, it's been very valuable to me personally. Mm-hmm. And finding someone to trust is really important. So once you find that person, eh, if it works, let it keep going. Yeah. But at some point that you think you need something else, there's no shame and no harm in getting another opinion, another set of eyes on things. Definitely. So, you know, when, especially when it comes to the, the stimming, because I you know, want to bring it back to that. We all have different scopes of these things. As the, as the parents, you got to look at all this information and be like, this is what I think works best for my child. I'm going to use this model and I'm going to try the best I can and if I need to change my mind upon it great you have all these resources and all these professionals that are more than willing to help you most of the time yeah and I yeah. mean these the practitioner the doctors everything they're they're fantastic but they're humans so they don't they're not perfect they don't catch or realize everything you no. know what I mean I mean how many times has pe- have people gone to a great doctor um, and, you know, they get told one thing and they go to another doctor, get a second opinion, and they realize it's something completely different. Yeah. And it's not because one doctor doesn't know what they're doing or something like that. Stuff gets missed, you know? Yeah. Like I said, we're all human beings. So. I go through that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I know human, all about all the doctors. Human. That's everything. a whole other story. <laughs> oh, boy. We don't want to get into all that, though. No. Not, no. Not at all. Another episode. You guys have a lot of episodes lined up, huh? Yeah. I mean, it seems like every time we... we every time I speak, we just come up with new episodes. <laughs> every time we do an episode, it gives us another idea for a new episode. Yeah. So, 
Uh, I mean, we have a whole a list of thing. ideas of information. We're going to be bringing uh, the wonderful listeners out there. Yes. Um, like I said, we're going to be uh, bringing Sam back, hopefully on a monthly basis, um, mm-hmm. and uh, going up through a lot of uh, different things with him. We thought, uh, you know, our discussions with him have been great. We feel like the information is phenomenal for our audience. So thank you, Sam. Thank you for having me again. And, um, yeah. Uh, Alex, why don't you tell everybody where they can find us? Find us. We're everywhere. <laughs> so you can reach us on Instagram. We have Building the Puzzle. You can also find our blog at www.buildingthepuzzle.com. And we are also on Facebook. We have a group and a page also under Building the Puzzle. Yeah, that's great. So um, we are going to be trying to do some question uh, and answers um, mm-hmm. in the next couple of weeks. Uh, maybe we'll actually get, uh, next time we get Sam on, we could do some question yeah, and answers. Definitely. What do you think about that? I would love to. Because they're always great. That would so, be great. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're really excited. Thank you guys for being in here and tuning in. And uh, with that, for Autism, Building the Puzzle, One Piece at a Time, I'm Sean. And I'm Alex. Signing off. Take care, everybody.